Hello, and you're very welcome to the week that really was for the week ending the 20th of October, 2023. My name is John McGurk. Her name is Sarah Ryan, and she's going to say hello to you now. Hi, Sarah. Hello. That was that was that was different. Yeah, normally I let I, I go and waffle and don't let you talk, and I always feel bad about that. Um, so I said I'd let you say hello before we get into the topics of the week. How have you been? Grant, can't complain. Um, I still suppose- do my best to limit my um how much of the horror show that is the world I'm allowing into my soul. Well, it's That's- not great. It's not great at the moment, is it? No. Um, yeah. it's not great at the moment. Um, I suppose that the week. I mean. We're going to talk about a few things on this show. If you're, if you want to know what we'll be talking about later on, we're going to talk about Britney Spears because we don't do a lot of pop culture on this show. But she did say something interesting uh, this week that we're going to talk about because it has sort of cultural and political connotations. And we're going to talk a little bit about Minister Norma Foley and the question of whether cabinet ministers are competent. But we're going to start because it's obviously the biggest story in the world with the ongoing events in the Middle East and and uh, what I think was a very amusing but certainly a significant piece of local fallout as a result of that. Um, but I'll turn to you first, Sarah. Where do you think things stand? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> Does anyone know where things stand right now? I mean, like... I, I think I've 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 I think I've just never experienced such heartache from anything in my lifetime for such a prolonged period of time. Like everything else was kind of one event. Do you know what I mean? Mm. This is just day after day. It's worse and worse. And you know, I have friends. I have particularly have a couple of very good, close Jewish friends who live in the states, and um, I'm literally following particular people who are hostage and um it's grim it's grim all around yeah there's i mean there was some progress this week where where there seemed to be an agreement that at least an offer from hamas to release the hostages in return for a a ceasefire but i don't think i i've got some friends both in israel and elsewhere in the world um and by the way i I want to address this because because we didn't do any comments from youtube last week but uh last week there was at least one comment on the podcast asking if it was true and i've got a lot of these on twitter this week as well if it was true that I headed off to Israel as a guest of the Israeli state at any stage. I did in 2014. Um, it was basically sort of a young leader's visit with a lot of, or the rest of them were mainly young politicians actually from around the EU. I think there was a representative of every member state and we went along and we met some Israeli legislators and we met some Israeli policymakers and they took us out for dinner and we saw some plays and then they sent us home again and that was that. And I was delighted to attend. Um, but the some people seem to be linking this with my generally pro-Israeli views, Sarah, um, and suggesting that, you know, maybe I'm on somebody's payroll. Well, I also went on that trip, not with you, on a different year because they invite somebody from Ireland every year. So, you know, like, I think, like, my takeaway from, like, watching people this week, and we can get to particular people in a minute, but I think my takeaway is that, like, uh, anybody who's who feels like they're absolutely right and certain about their views on this whole thing needs to check themselves because like at the end of the day when i'm looking at it i'm just like i'm i'm flabbergasted at how, at the sheer confidence people have in their own certainty about being on absolutely right and absolutely correct on everything they think on an issue which as i said last week generally if you scratch the surface for a couple of minutes they actually don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. so you know, like I'm not, um, I have a very good friend um, who's, um, sh- her parents are from Palestine. Um, she's a very good friend of myself and Keith. Um, she stayed with us here for, she's a, she was studying in Ireland and she stayed with us here for a prolonged period at one point. And we're very good friends with her. And I 
like, you know, my being friends with her and my agreeing with lots of the things that she says and having heard her story doesn't mean that I don't agree with my friends who have other views. Do you know what I mean? It's all like people just are so kind of like childish. And instead of actually having conversations about, you know, how to get through, how to get through this and how to make this better, they're seeking out people who they think that they can prove have this view because of that. It's all nonsense. Grow up. Just grow up. Stop trying to find, do you know what I mean? Like if you go through, like you're pointing out that you went on this trip to Israel, I went on it as well. If you go through my friends on Instagram or my friends on Facebook or whatever, you'll find Jewish people and you'll you'll find people who are Muslim as well. Like that doesn't mean anything. And you're not, there's no gotcha here. And I could give a shit what anybody thinks about the fact that I went here, there or, or what kind of friends I have. Like this is about let's stop children dying. And if you're using your energies to seek out gotcha in information about other people on Twitter to prove some kind of point or undermine their point. Like get a get a life. Like get a grip. Yeah. Like really think about what you're think about what you're doing. Like and also bear in mind that like, you know, other like when 9-11 was happening, were people like seeking out ways to find out whose fault it was. No, it's just a tragedy. Like you know, this is all just a tragedy, no matter what side you come down on. If you're spending your time trying to catch people out because you you think that there's some secret shill for, for one side or the other, like your time is better spent, I assure you. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of you asked me, to, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, by the way, yes, I've been to Israel. I also have blood family relations um, who live in Jordan, in the kingdom of Jordan next door, which has mm. been at war with Israel three times in the last 50 years. And the majority of whose population haven't. I don't discuss this in my family, but I assume they have different views on this than I would have. But like the the idea that the idea that you just put people's views in boxes because they went somewhere is is just, I mean, it, it's just an, an extent and an offshoot of the kind of conspiracy thinking that 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 dominates so much of online discourse on both left and right. I might add, but it's also, but it's also like it's 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 a sort of a it's worse than that because it's a form of self tranquilization that this person then thinks that they're some sort of activist, like they think they've done something, like shouting on the internet. Do you know what I mean? Like there was this really good cartoon years ago. Um, I think it was in the New Yorker, and it was a dog talking to another dog, and he says says he says to him, um, "I used to have a blog, but then I decided to just go back to incessant barking." And it's like you're shouting like this nonsense on the internet and on Twitter and comments and whatever. You're just incessant barking. No one no, like no one cares. You're not an activist. Yes, well, you're, I feel I feel suitably reproached since my Twitter bio is uh, is is hapless blogger, but I do take the point. <laughs> I think it's I think it's I think it's I mean I what I do because I, I view what I do as a form of blogging I mean the, the form of journalism I do for Grip is sort of opinion commentary and and it's it's inspired by sort of some of the the, the best blogs I read that in the heyday of blogging in the, in sort of the mid 2000s but blogging um, that, I'm, say, I'm I'm saying I think that I, I take from that that blogging is is better like it's it's a way that like lots of people write blogs and you know even if a blog doesn't have that many that many readers it's like a way to kind of like writing things down as a way to kind of formulate your thoughts into some kind of coherent you know message and finding out who went where and and writing nasty comments underneath videos or tweets is is not yeah well i think i think the best thing about writing writing i find is that it does it does force you to make an argument 
Like yeah. a, a tweet is not an argument. A tweet is thought. Um, it's not a. It's not a. It's not a. You know, you, anyone can send a tweet. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying my arguments are always good. Sometimes they're bad. But when I mean, you're forced to make them because you're making them for an audience, uh, it does force you to think and consider what the other side might say in response. And I think that's. I think that's very important. You have to be a good at arguing you have to be able to anticipate what the other side will say but we're going off a bit off topic um paddy cosgrave what do you make of that <laughs> i tell you what i made of that john like in a nutshell live by the gun die by the gun you know i suppose there might be some people listening who don't know what we're talking about so we will um well i will elaborate basically paddy cosgrave very successful irish entrepreneur founded a company called the Web Summit, which you may have heard of, which up until a couple of years ago brought global leaders to Dublin once a year for a, a major sort of jamboree of investors and startups and all the rest of it. Uh, he then had a falling out with the Irish government, took the Web Summit to Lisbon. He then grew it further, took it to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and just a couple of weeks ago announced he's going to hold one next year in Doha in Qatar. Paddy's extracurricular activities in recent years have sort of diverted into the very kind of activism we were talking about a moment ago, uh, barking dog stuff. He has um, he handed a million quid to the ditch, which is obviously a competitor of Grips, you can take my views of the ditch with a pinch of salt, but nonetheless, he donated a million quid. Um, and he also engaged in sort of bizarre campaign of trying to destroy and dox his enemies online. I think that's a fair characterization, including some people you and I both know. And indeed, he, did, he tried to do it to me as well, um, Christmas a couple of years ago, where he started like digging up people's old tweets or, or or revealing people's real names and just for on the apparent basis that they were supporters of Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. That was the reasoning for it. Anyway, um, in like of the events of recent weeks, Paddy Cosgrave started posting um, quite rabid support for the Palestinian cause. He appeared to uh, accuse Israel of war crimes, etc., 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 and seemed to forget that the tech sector is hugely dominated by Israeli companies. Mm. Many, of, many of whom just said, "Well, that's it. We're not, we're not going to your summit anymore." Do you want to take the story over from there, Sarah? So, um, basically, um, it 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 sort of started to um, gather momentum at a rapid pace over kind of a 48 hour period. Would that be roughly right? And yes. um, I thought at one point there was a clicker of how many companies had left Web Summit, publicly announced they weren't going to be attending Web Summit again. And um, he released an apology. Um, and I thought the apology was kind of odd. Um, well, before he released the apology, about about four hours before he released the apology, he released a non. He released an absolutely. I will not apologize. I am sticking to my guns. Sorry, this I forgot doing, about that. I forgot yeah, about that. This is doing me no harm. <laughs> this is doing me no harm. I'm not going to apologize. And then that was at nine o'clock in the morning. And then at one o'clock in the afternoon, presumably after a meeting with his financial team, um, an apology of the most groveling and sort of crisis PR type was produced, in which he said, "I was just trying." In my comments, I was simply trying to emulate and be like U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and other global figures who called for restraint on both sides, which is not true. Anthony Blinken certainly didn't accuse Israel either directly or by implication of war crimes. Um, but he then immediately after issuing the apology um, announced that he was no longer going to be on social media moving forward. So a bit of a chastening <laughs> life, experience. Life comes at you fast, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, that was a bad morning. I always, I always... Um, I always have a a kind of a, a huge amount of sympathy for people who have that kind of like imagine what kind of morning he had like you know what I mean and the only thing is that he inflicted that kind of morning on other people yes so 
you know, I like, you know, I think if you like went through my tweets, like one of the things I, I, I try not to do is, you know, when somebody when there's a pile on about somebody, I really do my best not to, you know, because like, what's the point? Um, so I try not to. Um, he he um, but he it's hard to have sympathy for somebody who went out of their way to do this to other people. Mm-hmm. And by the way, for really trivial reasons, I mean, like the the like the the ditch and and things like that like we're kind of designed to you know go after politicians it seems so far and they may change their tack but like from parties to parties that slighted paddy cosgrave in his mind and like if you if that's the way you live your life well then you know i just think things like this will come back you know like people won't have sympathy for you like and I've have found him on Twitter to be like quite erratic, so it's probably best for his business for him not to be on Twitter. But um, it remains to be seen. I mean, do you think that like do you think that this is a do you think that this is a a, a temporary issue with his with Web Summit, or do you think it's going to do lasting damage? Well, some of the some of the people who and I mean you know uh, some some of the people who said they weren't going were just sort of ordinary attendees, but one of them was Gary Tan the head of a very major um I think it's called We Something If I I'm not sure yeah, the name doesn't come to mind. I'd have to look it up. But I, I know it's a major player in this area. And Gary Tan is one of those people. The tech industry in my experience has always been very messianic. You know, like mm-hmm. the the Steve Jobs in his his black polo neck and there's a, like there's a whole load of guys in the audience with little glasses and their own black polo necks kind of worshiping him as a messiah. You know, like there, there's it's always been quite a messianic sector yeah. of the world. Um, and some people have a huge amount of outsized influence. Gary Tan is one such person. Um, somebody's going to message me in now and say that Gary Tan isn't his name and I've completely butchered. And if so, I apologize to that person. But I'm pretty sure that's his name. Um, but somebody of that scale, tech bros will know who I'm talking about, even if I have butchered his name, um, pulling out is, is I think it's a major deal. Um, it's, 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 the other thing with the tech industry is that Although you might get 70,000 people at the Web Summit, that 70,000 is actually a very small global community. It's it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's not much bigger than a big, like it's Dundalk sized, you know? Yeah. Um, if, if, if 70,000 becomes 10,000 really fast. It does. It does. Now that remains to be seen. Maybe it'll be absolutely fine. Maybe it's, maybe the Web Summit has become such a big event that people feel they've no option but to look past this. But I, I, I think, I, I look, put it this way, if you were any other investor in the Web Summit, you would not want the CEO to be behaving that way. Mm. Um, and, you know, this was always going to happen, though. I mean, somebody remarked during the week that there was irony in the fact that Paddy Cosgrave has been saying much worse things about the Irish government than he ever said about the Israelis and never paid a price for it. But I think that misses the point, which is that Ireland is an extremely small country. with a ve- you know, We always talk about our diaspora, but the diaspora is... Is not concentrated in in one sector of the economy. Like the the Israeli diaspora, like Israel is a country that has built tech as its sort of it's it's their equivalent of what the corporation tax rate is for us. Yeah, yeah. like that that is what they built their economy on. Yeah. Um, and you know it's it's it, and that's his sector. I mean, it's 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 like you know the Irish government doesn't have a huge influence in the tech world, so they couldn't do anything about him, even if they were so inclined to do it, which maybe they were, maybe they weren't but, but it's also but it's also even more than that john it's like you know 
because we're so we're Irish and we live in Ireland and we consume Irish media, obviously it's a much more global world than it ever was before. But ultimately, you know, you're influenced by your own media. And even like because of what's happened in the last 10 days, I, you almost forget until you see like Joe Biden talking or, you know, uh, people in the House of Commons talking that like Ireland is quite unique in how openly pro-Palestine, anti-Israel it is in its mm. media and in just in the general way people talk. And you forget that this huge community of pro-Israel or Israeli people in the world who don't agree with an absolute pro-Palestine stance. And like, that's not me saying either or, I'm just saying, that like you forget that that exists in large, large, large amount outside of art. Yeah, I mean, there was a poll this week from the US. The US, obviously, the other enormous global player in the tech community um, that showed, I think, 90% of Americans want sympathy with Israel and and not really any sympathy with the Palestinians. I mean, that those 90%, you know, also work in tech. So, I mean, it was just, an, I mean, I think Paddy's problem was he got so used to being able to say what he wanted about Ireland with, with the global tech community shrugging their shoulders because they don't have any clue who Niall Collins TD is and you know, yeah. whatever Paddy's doing at home, he's doing at home. But all of a sudden, they, it was like, it, they all got a glimpse of who this guy is this week. <laughs> like, and they saw what a lot of people in Ireland have been complaining about for a long time. And uh, the reaction was swift and condemnatory. So, I mean, I, I like you, I don't like pylons at all. But there is poetic justice, I think, when somebody who has orchestrated so many of them and, and devoted his considerable wealth to making a lot of people's lives in misery over the last few years. And one in, one, one friend that we have in common, I won't name her, but one in particular, and he's just like unnecessarily cruel to her. And uh, there was just no need for it. It was c- totally uncalled for. It was like it was for sport. And so, yeah, yes. I'm not going to participate in a pylon, but I'm not going to, I don't feel too bad. Like, We're talking about somebody who works in a particular press office, I assume. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that 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 particular incident was was horrendous. I mean, this is somebody who, again, we're not naming her, and I won't say what press office the person works in. Those who know will probably know. Maybe you follow the news. But this person is on a very ordinary, middle of the road salary, doing a, a job in the public interest. And because she had previously worked for a political party that Paddy Cosgrave didn't like, he he orchestrated and led a, a campaign of personal destruction. It was it was a horrendous thing. It was bullying, like it was awful. Um. So yeah, I mean, it reminds me of that old phrase: "I'd never wish death on anybody, but I've, there are a few obituaries I've read with pleasure." That's <laughs> that's that's sort of my frame of mind. On but also, I mean, the tweets were you know generally not that nice no matter who they're about. And so maybe it's best for everyone that he takes a break from Twitter. Not just him, but all of us. Hmm. Maybe he'll come back a nicer and kinder person. I mean, people get humbled by by bad experiences and sometimes emerge out the other side better and everyone can be redeemed. That's that's what I think. Um, oh my God, John, you're so nice this week. I know, I know. Anyway, we'll leave it there. I don't think there's much more to be said on that. And we did we did say we'd talk about Britney Spears. Um, so I will lead by saying that I'm sure we're the same age, but, you know, I'm a girl and I'm a I've always been a fan of Britney. I've always been team Britney. And even in her, you know, clearly darkest times, I've always rooted for Britney. Um, and I've I think, always been a fan of Britney, too, but maybe for different reasons. Yeah, no, definitely for different reasons. 
Um, but I think this is unbelievably sad. I, I, I think so much about Britney Spears is sad. I think that the entire, you know, financial situation where she was, you know, being like... Her conservatorship. Conservatorship is the word. The conservatorship was awful. And I thought that it was wrong and that she, you know, however, what I will say is that I, what I, what I've come across my feeds on social media since the conservatorship has been lifted wouldn't inspire confidence that Britney Spears is, isn't in need of some help or intervention with her life. Um, and now she's releasing a book. Um, and uh, she's getting paid fifteen million dollars in advance, by the way. So I mean, like you know, she's that. I mean, fair play for her on that on that front. Also, but also a book like any celebrity book has to have things in it that are fifteen million euro or fifteen million billion dollars worth of tea, as they say. Mm. So, um, one of the the pieces of information that's been released that's going to be in it is that when she was going out with Justin Timberlake, that she got pregnant and she had an abortion and how it was horrendous for her and she didn't really want to do it. And it's so sad and so kind of depressing because, you know, like anytime anything like this comes up, it's used like as a kind of a, you know, it's used as a kind of a demonstration or not a demonstration, but it's used as a kind of a celebration of of choice. But when you read her, like the story and you read what she's saying, she's saying it's the most agonizing thing she ever experienced in her life. She didn't really want to do it. Um, but he said he 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 wasn't ready, so they were way too young. So, you know, like if it had been she said, if it had been left up to me, I never would have done it. But he didn't want me to do it, so I went ahead and did it. Like, that's not choice. That's, you know, somebody who's now describing one of the worst things, the most agonizing things they've ever experienced in their life. They didn't want to do it, but there seems like they did it because the other person didn't want them to have a baby. And but, I think the whole thing is just tragic, more tragedy. Like Britney Spears is, you know, sometimes I think like she's, you know, often, very, very, very often we see these celebrities who get really super famous, really young, and it rarely ends well unless they have an unbelievably solid family around them. I recently just watched that David Beckham, the Beckham documentary or whatever, and you can actually see you know, that like he had an affair, they stayed together, but you can kind of see the profound impact that the strength of the wider family around them has. Same with the Colleen Rooney's, you know, people who've gotten famous from young, the family matters. And Britney Spears is, has always for a long time to me felt like a really lost soul who comes from, you know, the middle of nowhere kind of thing, who was thrust into this hyper-sexualized role as a very young girl, and has just had a, a tragic life, money or no money, and been, you know, used as a cash cow for by obviously record companies and, you know, magazines and whoever else, but also her family. And, you know, behind the scenes, it was just sad, the whole thing. Sad. Yeah, I think a couple of things about this. I mean, and I, I'm really trying to order my thoughts. I have a few. I want to say at the beginning that. While I have absolutely zero sympathy for the decision that Justin Timberlake is alleged to have made, uh, and I'll come back to that in a second, I do have some sympathy for Justin Timberlake in this situation. Um, I think it's, I think it's, he was also very young mm. um, at, at this time. I, I, I do not believe that his actions reflect well on him as a man, but I, I also don't necessarily think the revelation about him in that manner is fair to him necessarily. I don't know if I, I know some people will push back on that. And I don't, 
I, 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 you know, I, I, all of us have relationships in life and all of us make decisions and it's not, I, I, I don't like tell-alls about relationships for that reason yeah, yeah, um, yeah. at all. Um, that said, um, I do think the the overwhelming point I would make in, in relation to this is it, it, it is sort of em- emphasizes to me the myth of choice. Like one of the things that people who are pro-choice and I have many friends who are pro-choice, um, as do you, um, one of the things they, they tend to assume is that, that, that this is a choice for a woman to make but often it's 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 not often it's a choice that a woman has made for her by a partner um or in some i mean i am personally familiar with a situation where somebody got pregnant and their mother made them have an abortion um on pain of being cut off and exiled from the family and all sorts of horrible stuff and i I personally know how much damage was done to that person Mm. um and to her partner at the time um like it it it, the 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 myth of choice uh, obviously some people do make choices. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But it's not as cut and dry as people make it out to be. I think that's the the first thing. Um, The other thing is that, you know, I think back to the abortion referendum, and one of the things that was always denied on the other side um, was the concept of abortion regret, that women don't regret their abortions. Only a fragment of women regret their abortions. It's just not a thing. You know, we shouldn't, shouldn't, you know, waste time talking about it. That is just not the real world yeah, no, experience of many women. Um, and as you said, I mean, I look at Britney Spears and I, I look when I was a kid, I'm, I'm roughly her age. I think we're based. I think all three of us, you, me and her are roughly the same age, very different life paths. She's been a lot more successful than you or I have. Well, we're the same age. And I remember like, you know, when when I was her age, I viewed her as a sex symbol. Um, and that's how she was presented to the world. But like with the benefit of hindsight, I know she was just like me and just like you. And probably all she wanted was sort of um, a boyfriend who she loved and you were happily ever after. And she's never gotten it. Um, and, and probably the reason she didn't get it was her fame. And then you add traumas like this on and over. I mean, the thing about abortion in particular is, I mean, there's no 11 or 12 year old girl in the world. I, I don't care that I'm a man saying this because I know it's true. There's no 11 or 12 year old girl in the world or 13 or 14 year old girl who grows up saying I want to have an abortion. It's it's not a plan for anyone. Pro-choicers are right when they say that. Um, and there's a reason why it's not in anyone's plan. You know, no, Nobody wants to be in that position. Uh, and then when you find yourself in that position, it, it, I think for you know a lot of women who I've spoken to down through the years who've come through it, they say it kind of shatters your your innocence about the world, um, shatters your shatters your faith in the world for a lot of people. Uh, and I think she she might be an example of that. And I do not know. I don't know Britney Spears at all. Um, I hope she's well, but I, I do think that there may well be a connection between this kind of trauma and the trauma and upset she manifests to this day. I'm sure there are other factors there as well, but I mean. Well, I'm sure there are loads, but she's talking about this. You know, she dated Justin Timberlake from 1999 to 2002. So minimum, this event happened 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tell me that there's not a huge trauma associated with something that you're still talking about in your memoir 20 years later like this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how many things would have such an effect on you that you would still be speaking in such like trauma traumatized language about it 20 years later mm-hmm. so i mean i don't know i mean i i take your point about him and i think that he's he's a kid as well and i think that when you're you know thrust into that kind of fame like we you know like we just don't know the impact that has on you and the, you know whatever but i still think that ultimately you know she it seems very much like she wanted to he didn't 
And she's the one who's mourning to this day. And, you know, I do what I do have sympathy for is that for with him is that, as you pointed out quite rightly, like, you know, you, you go out with somebody 20 years ago and then one day you wake up and they're releasing a memoir and you're in it and it's like, oh, crap, you know, so it's a bit kind of unfair. Um, and we all do stupid things when we're young. But yeah, I just think it'll just the way it'll be framed and the way it'll be talked about will be will never address some of the issues that are, you know, very, very much in your face here and very, very obvious to me, which is that it's, you know, like she's still traumatized about it. She didn't really want to do it. And people say, oh, it's great. It's her choice. But it just doesn't feel like a choice. Can, can I say can I say one more thing about uh, sort of half in defense of Justin Timberlake here, um, which is that I sorely doubt from my memory of those years and where she was in the sort of pop culture pantheon that uh, she, that he, I don't doubt her word that he may have exerted pressure, but I doubt he was the only one in her life. I can't imagine I can't imagine that her record label at the time would have been very happy that the bubblegum chewing teen sensation pop star uh, who was worth millions of dollars a month to them, let alone per year. Would was going to go and get pregnant out of out of marriage is still a thing in the US by the way there's still a stigma there um and and being a teen mom still has a stigma in some parts of the US yeah, and and some parts of Ireland let's be clear I think there, I have no doubt that there was significant pressure um, on her, not only from her partner, but from other parts of her life. Or even if the pressure wasn't exerted, she would have felt it uh, not to mess things up by having a kid. And I think there are an awful lot of women who would also relate to that feeling. Um, well, you may you may not you may not remember this because you're you probably weren't as quite as tuned into the uh, pop culture at the time as I was. But Britney Spears's younger sister, Jamie Lynn Spears, um was it was it was a big scandal in um 2007 because she got pregnant at 16 and she was like kind of beginning her career as a singer and an actress and she had a tv sitcom thing on nickelodeon mm-hmm. zoe or something and um she the rumor at the time was that her the cancel the show was cancelled um because she got pregnant and then there was no sign of her for about five years so and it was like it was kind of scandalous in America. Like they are quite conservative about pre premarital children. The other so. thing, the other thing is now not to not to sound like a complete feminist, but I think there's a there's a there's an overlap here with the whole Me Too thing because I think back to that era, and like there are a number of kind of young girls who were pushed forward as either kid stars and then later as sex symbols, whose lives kind of fell apart on them. I think of do you remember Amanda Bynes? Yeah, um, like she had uh, she was a for those who don't know she was a sort of a tv actress um she was a kids tv presenter um and then suffered like terrible mental health issues in her 20s you got the olsen twins very same path sort of child stars then kind of like overtly sexualized then eating disorders eating disorders anorexia sort of general high profile acting out you've lindsay lohan um like the star of freaky friday and then that other what's that really good movie she's in with all the girls who don't oh, like mean each girls. other mean girls um her life uh kind of had its uh, ups and downs. i mean and the pattern is similar in all cases. I mean, all these girls were pushed forward sort of in their late teens, early 20s as kind of like bubblegum chewing, roller skate wearing kind of, you know, soft porn sex symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're and, and all of them paid a huge price for it. And yeah. I don't think like enough people have drawn that sort of those lines together on the whiteboard. Um, and I suspect Britney Spears' story is not unique. 
um, in that respect. Uh, I'm not talking about abortion specifically, but but uh, uh, although I suspect she's not the only one on that front either. No, um, but it's 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 sad all around, and and like I'm not I'm not um, you know I, I thought that when the conservatorship ended and Britney Spears free, the free Britney thing kind of you know happened, I thought that you would see a kind of an improvement, and I'm not encouraged by anything that I've seen. Um, from Britney Spears in the last year or so, um, maybe releasing a book will free her from some demons or something. I don't know. Yeah, but... at the same time, a lot of what I've seen is mostly harmless. I mean, there's been a bit of kind of manic dancing around the kitchen and <laughs> stuff like that. But I mean, there hasn't been anything usually unedifying. Well, she's a a like she was, she's a, she's a uh, supposedly an artist. Like manic dancing around the kitchen in your underwear at forty something years of age, like. With a with a with a, a kind of a and I'm putting this nicely slightly manic look in your eyes is not a great look for you know yeah. like this is a woman who used to sell out you know arenas all around the world and you know was highly highly successful probably I I I couldn't tell you was she one is she is she one of the best and most successful recording artists of all time she must be in the top ten she's definitely in the top ten yeah um, so you know like there's a there's a there's a lack of kind of coherence to the to the plan since the conservatorship was lifted that doesn't inspire my confidence but you know maybe the book maybe releasing demons like i said will 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 get her back on track but there's a the, you know it would it would it would make you very reluctant if you had a child who was particularly interested in singing and dancing to allow that child you know to enter into that world because it looks like it just chews them up and spits them out doesn't it yeah it does well i think i i, I just want to finish by saying i think everybody who was alive during that era and and like of our age during that era like she was and and is somebody who we, whose name we'll always know and i for one i just wish her the best i i like she never did any harm to me or as far as i can tell to anyone else really in the world and i, I don't i just like I, I do genuinely wish her the best, as I'm sure it does everybody yeah. else. No, I, I mean, think she, I think she, I think she commands a lot of like uh, she has a lot of nostalgia for people, and I think people generally root for her. Um, I certainly do. Um, you know, like I'd be, I'd be devastated if anything happened to her. So hopefully she's on the mend. Indeed. Anyway, do you know who we got to talk to this week? For the first time in, I think, four months, uh, was Norma Foley. Um, you and I were talking before we came on air, and you were asking about how many press conferences she does. And I think it's it, this is something that's actually people might not know is that the Irish government every week on a Monday sends Grift Media and every other uh, media outlet in the country sort of a list, which is confidential. Obviously, we're not going to make it public, but a list of what press events are on that week involving government ministers. And every week, You've got the same four or five people. Eamon Ryan is almost always on it. The Taoiseach and the Thomas are almost always on it. Darrell Bryan is on it like once every two weeks. Um, you know, uh, even Helen McEntee is is on it fairly regularly, even though she's had her struggles recently. Norma Foley is never on it. I mean, the last time she did a public sort of press event to which the Dublin media were invited was, I think, in the last school year. I think she was opening a school in Dunleary in it, or opening a new wing of a school in Dunleary and the media were told about it. But I think only because it was a joint event with Jennifer Carroll McNeil might have sent out the, the notification. I mean, this woman, basically, her absence from the media is incredible. And I have my theory about why that might be, but um, I'll let you articulate either my theory or yours, because I think it's the same one. Well, so the reason why we were talking about it earlier on is the, re the, the reason why we got onto it was because she was asked this week by Grift about, you know, this um, concept of teaching um 
you know white privilege white privilege in in schools and what I was struck by was like I mean we can you know we can get into the I mean in general and we've discussed it many times on this podcast there's a kind of a almost now bordering on comical level of sort of contempt by politicians too gripped to being asked questions or whatever and you know her answer was less than satisfactory and most of the time like her most ministers um Catherine um What's Catherine Green Party? Catherine Martin. Martin. Um, you know, like they don't even answer the question, and we can like you know we can get lost in the weeds a bit on on like the on the the substance of the actual question about white privilege. But putting that aside for a second, just what I was struck by is that the like she's not challenged by anyone else. Like she she seems to get kind of a cakewalk all the time. Like, you know, there's been like for a minister that is minister for education at a time where there's been, you know, protests about books, you know, like all this gender ideology stuff. Now, white privilege, like a lot of kind of like um, issues regarding kids that have really captured the imagination of a huge amount of people like and I've said this on the podcast before like friends of mine who aren't normally particularly engaged in politics but they're engaged at this issue because they have kids and blah 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 for a minister who is minister for education at a time when all of that is going on I never hear her getting asked any hard questions. Well, that's and because she's barely asked any questions full stop because, I mean, as far as I can tell, the government press office at her own press office eyed her away. Now, that is not to say, by the way, she was out every week that all of a sudden the lads from TV3, sorry, Virgin Media and the Irish Times to start peppering her with 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 zingers. I'm not entirely sure that's true. But mm. they, they, in fairness to them, they don't really get the opportunity. I mean, they, 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 this is a minister who gets hidden away. I was struck, I, I'm only going to say this about her answer to that question. She was asked basically, why are you going to start teaching Irish kids that they have privilege if they're white or they're Irish or they're man? And her answer was, Something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, but go watch the video if you think I'm paraphrasing inaccurately. It was something along the lines of, well, it's very important to teach people about, uh, to have respect for other people and all be aware of our own little advantages in life and, and you know, take care of other people. And, you know, Ben was there asking the question, not me, and I'm not criticizing Ben by saying this, but I was cr- screaming at the camera. I was saying, this is basically Catholic education 101 for the last 70 years that you're talking about. Why do we need a new curriculum to teach that? I mean, it, this is not what you're being asked. You're basically saying, well, this is what I would teach if I was a teacher and I was setting the curriculum myself. But that's not what's actually written on the piece of paper that your department is producing. And I don't even know if she knows what's on the piece of paper that her own department is producing. Because I get the impression that the civil service keeps this woman away from the office as much as they can, sends her around the country, you know, doling out grants for new roofs or new sports fields and runs the education policy of the country by itself. That is, as a, as a, somebody who observes how the government works at close quarters, who observes who this how this minister operates at close quarters, that is my honest impression, that, that she's not running her department. And I, I think she's not alone in that, but I think she's the best example of it. Sorry, that was me finishing, so you can talk. <laughs> no, I just, like... I mean, like, well, first of all, I, I actually have a question about what you mean about cat. Like, what do you mean about teaching Catholic? That it's I, mean, I, I mean, her specific answer was sort of like what she was saying was that the, the, the new draft curriculum, when she was asked about white privilege, she said, oh, it's just about teaching people to have respect for each other and their differences and to be conscious that not everyone has the same abilities or coming from the same background. And I'm saying, Sarah, that you and I would have been taught that exact same stuff in school in sort of a Catholic-orientated religion class. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's not, I mean, 
she, but also that's not what they're teaching because they're teaching. yeah that's not what they're teaching I'm, I'm saying she she sounded like if that was what she was saying the new curriculum is then we don't need a new curriculum that's what my point was yeah I'm sorry yeah gotcha no I mean well I have two sons and a daughter so what this what she's actually proposing be taught is that you know that my sons be told that because they're white and male they actually have more advantages than other people that they be singled out and told that they're, they're that they've had unfair advantages relative to the other kids in the class correct yes and also that your daughter has less advantages because she is a meek and feeble woman yeah and i mean that goes back to the fundamentals that i of of of, of my entire you know female mind in ireland which is that like I never felt like a victim. I never felt like I had less advantages or less opportunities than my brother, who's a year younger than me. I never felt like I was put upon. I never felt like the world was a terrible, frightening, scary, unfair place. So I only really, like, I genuinely began to be aware of that concept when I started being told every day that I was a victim in the last 10 or 15 years. So I'm going to raise my daughter the same way as I was raised, which is that she's no different from like in terms of opportunities from other people and just to get on with it, frankly. And like the thing is that like even in situations, John, where you are at a disadvantage and there will be some in your life telling you and believing that you're a victim and that you're put upon by that disadvantage doesn't actually do you any favors. Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing is it's just bollocks. I mean, I, I, and 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 a good example of that. And I don't. I, I certainly I'm not playing the victim here, right? But but I think it's a good example. Like you and I do this podcast. We're we're equals in every respect. I think we're we're you know, as, as many people tell me every week. We're a good match for each other, and so on and so forth. But like you are a woman, yes, but you're also the as we. I'm not saying as you're a scion of a political dynasty that dominated the South Dublin landscape for many years. I'm a bogger from Monaghan. Not I'm not. not more privileged than you because I'm a man, you're a woman. And that's not to say that you're particularly privileged either. I don't mean it in that I way. I know what you mean. But I know what you, you mean. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 um the like the 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 the, the concept itself lacks all teaching kids that they are privileged because they're white or they're they're male is is nonsensical. I mean, teach well, them that I, they're privileged if they're born to a millionaire and live in, in Fox Rock. Don't teach them that they're they're privileged. Uh, they're more privileged as a man if they're from a deprived part of the country, which is is what the curriculum proposes to do in essence. But don't. But also, just like, well, how about we just stay out of the realm of teaching kids about you know ha, ha, what, what whether they should be a victim or they should be embarrassed about their advantage at, at all? Like, why don't we just stay out of it completely? Like at the end of the day, John, like. You you made your point there, like I come from south south side of Dublin and you're a bogger or whatever. But like if your entire life you come to Dublin, you go to college and you just have this big, you're told all the time, John, it's going to be harder for you. You're going to be less than this is terrible. You you should get more advantages because you're the, like, do you know what I mean? It's like. What good does that do you? I like, remember the first day I went to I went to Trinity. And by the way, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't go to Trinity. Not that I didn't like it, just because I don't think I gained much on it. But I remember the first day I went to Trinity, Sarah. I knew nobody, mm-hmm. like literally nobody. There was one other guy from my school who went, and I think I went. I, I did like a useless arts degree. He did something really productive, and I think became a pharmacist. But he was like on the other end of the campus. I don't think we saw each other for four years. Met a couple of times since, but I didn't know anybody. I had no advantages whatsoever. But I never felt that. This felt like there was an opportunity there which you know probably wasted the opportunity to be honest but there was an opportunity there to make something of myself and I think that's 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 the right attitude it's not where you start it's where you finish um, and teaching kids it's also kids, that like teaching kids that like 
you know what I mean? Like, 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 where does this, where does this kind of like, you know, advantage, disadvantage end? Like I'm, you know, I went to school, I went to a, a, a all Irish primary and secondary school. Um, I was always really, really, really good at languages and like history and stuff and really, really bad. Like John, abysmally bad at maths, like, mm-hmm. like to the point where I used to question whether there was something wrong with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just can't be dealing with the numbers thing. And like, do, do you then say, well, some you know, like Sarah, you're a victim of your tiny, tiny brain when it comes to numbers. And, you you know, you, like everybody else in the class should accept that, you, you know, and apologize to you because you're behind on maths and it's not your it's not your fault. And you're a victim. Or do you just go, yeah, you're going to have to work harder at maths to pass pass maths for your leaving cert because you're crap at maths. Sorry. Yeah, we're, you know? in the, we're in the same boat, by the way. I remember, I remember doing my leaving cert. I mean, I, I, I got like an, an either in nothing lower than a B1 in any subject except maths where I got a D3. I got a D3 in maths as Did well. You, was, mine was at a higher level though, to be fair. I was in pass, so I'm stupid. <laughs> okay. well, I cu- I hated it. I uh, like I avoided it. I I could like uh, that. You know when people have the um the dream about the leaving cert. I don't. I have a dream about maths. Yeah, me too. I have a dream because I never. Like, I was. I was. You know, my my poor late teacher, Miss Garvey. She was a wonderful teacher in maths, but uh, yeah, I was not a good student. Um, no. But 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 my point is, there were other people who I knew, very intelligent people who couldn't figure out the English language at all. Like, you know, and I don't mean that, obviously they could speak English, but they, they, they couldn't get their heads around sort of the Shakespeare plays you were t- told to read about or understand. Whereas I love that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but they, people have different skills and different talents. Exactly. And, and, but that's my point, John, is like, where do you draw the line? Like, do you, you know, where does your, where does your, like, it's, it's just this like continue, like it's perpetuating this thing of like, you, you pick up your victimhood, like it's some kind of cape and your victim okay fine might be your race might be your gender might be your socioeconomic background but like that list can go on and on and on mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and some of the people by the way some of the most unhappy you know most like we, you know people talk a lot about what well, we uh, be be aware and be kind about mental health like mental mental health has doesn't know doesn't care about your gender or your socioeconomic background or your or your um whatever but like some of the people i know who suffered the most with mental health that come to mind came from extremely wealthy extremely privileged backgrounds but they're at a massive disadvantage because they're suffering since their teen years with mental with their mental health like so you know what i mean it's kind of like why don't you just teach kids that like you know there'll be things that you'll find harder and things that you'll find easier but work really hard and do your best and see how far you can go without telling them from the outset that they're a victim because it's just not I don't think that that's a useful thing to teach kids um and you know that's the reverse of telling people about their privilege um and you know at the end of the day like I could tell you that like like people children grow up in all kinds of different homes and it can look like the best in the world and they can be suffering deeply. Uh, Ireland has problems with drugs and alcohol in homes and, you know, anything could be going on in a child's life and that kid comes into school to be told that they're on an advantage to everyone else. It's a nonsense. In, it's my, not, in my experience, by the way, stay out of it. in my experience, by the way, 
when I look around, I mean, because because like you, I know people from from and I have encountered across my life people from all walks of society, and the the most successful people that I've encountered, almost to a to a to a man or a woman, it's not where they started. That's the it's not the wealth of their parents or their gender that's the deciding factor. It's always almost always been their parents. Mm. It's almost always been those people who came from stable and supportive homes. And maybe that is a form of privilege, right? Because obviously not. Everyone can have that. Whereas, whereas, you know, I have to be very careful in case people think I'm talking about individuals. But I, I will say, you know, I've encountered people who came from objectively successful, wealthy backgrounds who, who didn't have very supportive parents or didn't have yeah. um, a, a good, stable home background who, who struggled and struggled through life, often with the kind of issues you mentioned. So, so I mean, the, like there are other factors other than kind of like your color, your skin, and your gender. Um, and I'm not saying we should teach kids about those either, because everyone can make a success of themselves and everyone can make a failure of themselves. But the the emphasis on this stuff is is revolting. Anyway, I I don't come back to the point about the minister. I mean, I I don't think she's even considered any of this stuff. I honestly don't. Watching her answer that question, watching her general conduct since she's been a minister, I I think she reads what's written in front of her from civil servants. I don't think she's the only one. I think there are some really good ministers, even though I don't agree with them in the cabinet. I think Darrow Bryan, for example, the housing minister. Yeah, you might say the results haven't been great, but housing takes a long time to fix, number one. And number two, every time that man is asked a question about policy, he knows it off by heart. I mean, he's somebody who's on top of his knows what the civil servants are doing, knows what the department is trying to do. I don't agree with him. I mean, another guy I don't agree with is Eamon Ryan. I think Eamon, Eamon Ryan is a terrible minister for the country, but I think he's a very effective policymaker. I mean, he is he is completely devoted to knowing what his department is doing. He has an agenda. I happen to think it's a terrible one, but he's very effective at pushing it through. Whereas there are some people in the cabinet, Norma Foley is, the, is, is to my mind, the number one example, and Helen McEntee might be the number two example. That's not because they're both women. It's just honestly my impression of them. Yeah, I think uh, Stephen Donnelly is another one. Stephen Donnelly is number three, who I, I don't think know their ass from their elbow when it comes to what their, their departments are actually doing. And I think are led by the nose by their civil servants around the place. Um, and I think that's that's very bad for the country. And I, I wrote a piece this week saying that we've got a talent problem. And I think for all sorts of reasons we've talked about, there's a huge talent deficit at the top of Irish politics. And I don't think that's going to get any better, by the way, when Sinn Féin take power. Um, because if you look at their front bench, I mean, I, I would challenge you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in politics. So I'd challenge you to name more than five good performers on the Sinn Féin front bench. I think there's a, there's a real issue with the kind of people who we are appointing because ultimately, government would exist, right? If, if you abolish the democracy and the doll and the Shannon and the presidency and everything tomorrow, the country would still run fine. The civil servants would run the country. That's what they're there to do. The politicians are there to give those civil servants direction and to make sure they're not abusing their powers and to ensure that policy is being enacted that the people want. I think I think on that level, in terms of the government doing what it's supposed to do, I think half the cabinet are failing. And I'm not confident that the opposition can muster a full 15, who half of whom wouldn't also fail on that score. That's what depresses me. It's also a long-term problem as well, John, because we know, like anecdotally from different parties, that they're struggling to find candidates for local elections, and that this whole problem is gonna is gonna run and run hugely. I mean, no, I mean, I, I've said, I think I've said before in this podcast, um, I would tomorrow, if I was running the country, one of the first things I'd do would be to quadruple or quintuple the salary for TDs. I'd probably, probably if I, first of all, if I got elected to that job and then I did that on day one, 
you know, people would probably, uh, you, you throw me out of office the next day because it'd be so unpopular. But it's, it, I think it's, if you want to have a country that's well governed, then you need to make it worthwhile for people who are already successful enough to earn high incomes to go into to that job. If, 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 if you're attracted into politics because the salary is 100 grand a year or whatever it is, and you're doing it for the salary, that probably means that you're not capable of earning that salary outside of politics. Whereas if you're, if you're somebody who's already on a high salary, there's no incentive to go into politics. And the chances are, if you're on a high salary in the society, I mean, there are, let's stipulate, there are a couple of bluffers out there who are earning lots of money in the private sector for doing nothing. Um, that's, let's stipulate that. But by and yeah. large, if you're already on a high salary in the private sector, you're probably a competent person. And I think we need competent people to run the country. I don't think... Do you not, think, need... that, do you not think that part... I think that I think that what you said there is correct, but I think that there's more to it than that. And I think that we have a culture, a voting culture, unfortunately, that votes for people, that we vote en masse for people who, for very often silly reasons, you know, came to this, went to that, opened this, kissed a baby, you know, showed up at the local tidy towns every, you know, every Tuesday morning for six years, blah, 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 blah. And we don't have enough, as an electorate, we don't consider enough what people bring to the table. And we vote for people because of, you know, we we we, we elect t- councillors into TDs because they did more council work. But that's not what a TD should be. It's a legislator. I often say, and I'm not going to name the, the TDs involved because it's not fair and they're not on their own. But in, in the part of the country where I live, every time... I don't know if you're familiar with this in Dublin or whether it's just a country thing, but every time somebody dies these days, their death notice goes up on RIP.ie and you can go in. If you can't make the funeral or whatever, you can go in and you can leave sympathies. It's like sending a mass card in the old days and and the family will get those sympathies. We just got um, a book of them from my uncle actually last week. But so every now and again, I'm going into RIP to leave sympathies for somebody who's tragically or sadly died in the area. And every time I do, the first, like I'd say the first three sympathies are from the same three local politicians, like often posted within hours of the death going live, which tells me that those politicians literally have somebody in their office refreshing RIP.ie every day to see who should be given a condolence because they know that's important to getting votes. So I think there's a there's a there's a point there. Um like I know it's a, it's the old cliche about going to funerals, but like it really seems to matter to Irish voters. Um, and maybe it maybe it okay, should matter. Like but that's but that's my point. Like it's childish. Like you know, I remember there's a famous story about a Dublin TD, he's not a TD anymore, and um he was elected and um to the doll, I think it's the first time and something kind of some controversial thing happened in his constituency and the next day he's walking down the street and he met this woman who'd been in the middle of the you know community center whatever it was when this had happened and she said oh where were you yesterday you know this happened and that happened and he said oh i was in leinster house and she said well we don't elect you to be in leinster house (laughs) you do actually do you know what i mean it's like there is a kind of a problem with the way that we vote. Yeah. Not everyone, but 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 that's part of the problem as well, I think. There, there is the other old story. If you want more discouragement and you're listening to this from going into politics, there is the other old story, which may be apocryphal, um, of the, the TD who received a, a knock on his door at about 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve from somebody who needed to get into a hospital because there'd been somebody was sick in the house. And the TD said to him, well, what, why don't you call the doctor? And the response was, well, I wouldn't want to bother the doctor on Christmas Eve. Um, yeah. Like there's like there, there, our expectations about. I mean that story may be apocryphal. I've heard it, a couple of versions of it, versions of it from a couple of politicians, but it's one every politician knows. Like they've mm. heard it, they've heard of that story. 
Um, and I think it's popular with them, even if it even if it's not true, even if that incident, specific incident, never happened, it's popular with them because because they know the kind of demands that are made of them in the job. Um, yeah, and, and it's and, like you you know you said there, and like it's true. And you and I have friends in common who've been in politics and have been you know successful in politics in the past. And like you know, politics is a wonderful thing to do with your life. But you know, lots of like people I know who've left politics, and particularly people who've been successful in politics and have either lost their seat or retired, they always say if they've gone into private industry, they've earned more money and gone home at five o'clock and, you know, had a less stressful, more free life. Yeah, I, I asked one person who we both know <coughs> not that long ago, if she would ever consider going back into politics. And she's been very successful out of it since she left. And she said, not on your life. And this person, like when she was young, was desperately ambitious to get into politics and, and probably had her career taken another couple of turns, would have made it to the very top. Um, and and now, I don't think, I, I'm not going to speak for that person, but like I definitely doesn't regret leaving. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that, that's, that tells you the whole story. I don't think it's a coincidence that as the country has gotten richer and the incomes for successful people have risen, while TD's incomes have basically been the same, the quality of politician has declined. Um, and yeah. ob- objectively declined. I mean, where's the Seamus Brennan's? I mean, I, I think back to the day the... Uh, do you remember the famous incident of the 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 IMF coming in and poor old Noel Dempsey and Donald and Dermot Ahern standing there looking a bit gormless? Mm. And I, I look at the cabinet now and I think, God, it, the cabinet would really benefit from a from a Noel Noel Dempsey or a Dermot Ahern because those two guys, whatever else you might think about them, knew what they were doing, even if you didn't agree with what they were doing. Oh, yeah, um, there was a, there was a caliber there. There was others as well who were really good. Yeah, and and like not just in Fianna Fáil. I mean, Alan Jukes, um, very very capable politician. Um, and who, who who left who left it prematurely? I mean, you look at the Labour Party. I mean, they've never really replaced Rory Quinn. I mean, it's it, it's across the board. So yeah. Anyway, look, I think we waffled on enough for one week. That's not overreach. Rory Quinn is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> People should look at the sort of constituency boundaries of the mid '80s and the candidates running in those constituencies. If they want to explain Sarah's comment there, um, oh, I think I, I've been very consistently critical about Labour. You have, you have. To be fair, all right, um, folks, we will leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us as ever for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week once again for another episode of the week that really was. <laughs>